Um, I have about, I don't know how long is a rake, about a 12-inch this size rake, and it's July, and it's hot, and the ground is harder than most of our heads, okay? I mean, it was hard, and I was out there attempting to uh, scratch that surface and uh, make a rut or something for the sea to be able to get into, and I was dripping wet and after like 15 minutes, I went, fine, heck with it. It's going to just see what it does. It's going to grow. And this is the truth. Maybe mm, eight days uh, after that, we had a downpour, an absolute downpour. And probably two weeks after that, I saw where all my grass seed went. I had the luscious, most green lump of grass about 13 feet away from where I planted it. Okay, so it's the truth. So then, here I am all these weeks later, uh, and I've gotten out this old book that I've had for like 30 years, and it's a book by Tozer, and I'm going to do some reading out of that. And I really struggled over the reading part, like, should I, God, read? I mean, read. And then the Lord just reminded me just the other day, because I was having difficulty as I'm just looking at this one chapter and say, this is absolutely awesome. Everybody needs to hear this. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to incorporate this uh, simple, basic, unbelievable truth in the lives of everybody else. Because he said it's so wonderful. And then I just felt like the Lord reminded me about my wife and how she would do her ladies' Bible study and she actually read the chapters to you, if you've gone, right, ladies? Read to it, and I've heard so much feedback from that. I'm saying, all right, God, you're no respecter of persons, and so I'm going to go down that same avenue. Uh, but I want you to really intently listen, because your life depends on this. Absolutely depends upon this. Now, the opening text is found in Hosea 10. And it says simply this. Now, you have to do this. You have to permit this or do this. Now, obviously, the little story I told you in July did not do it right. And so, therefore, my ground is still fruitless. There's no grass in that area still. Because I did not do it right. Now, here we go. Hosea tells you, sow to yourself in righteousness. Doing what is right. And without the Word of God, we don't know what is right. It's the Word of God that tells us what's right. Some people say abortion's all right. Some say only in certain cases. The Word of God tells us what's right. And so it tells us to sow to yourselves in what's right, in righteousness. Then you will reap in mercy. But in order for this to happen, you cannot just scratch the surface this morning or tickle your ear or kind of pay attention. God says you need to break up your fallow ground. Now listen, this is vital because this is what's wrong with the American church. Fallow ground. Break it up, God says. For it's time to seek the Lord till He come and reign in righteousness upon you. Break up this fallow ground. We have two types of ground here this morning. Fallow ground 
and ground that's been broken up. And you have to decide which one you are. I know why I don't have grass in that area. I know when spring comes, it's not going to come up lush. Because I didn't break it up right. I didn't do it right. I didn't obey the laws of farming. And I did not break. I scratched it. I looked like I was a farmer. I looked like I knew what I was doing. But I did not do it right. And that word fallow means that the cultivated land that is allowed to lie idle, absolutely idle, during the growing season. <clears throat> That's what fallow ground is. Not being in a state of use. The ground not being used. No activity or employment it even talks about. You are this ground we're talking about. And this morning, by the power of the Spirit of God, I want God to uh, grip you or grab you in the sense that we're talking about this fallow ground being broken up or lying idle, not being used by God for your purpose. You're not here just sucking up God's fresh air just because He has abundance of air. You're here for a purpose and a reason. And God lays out His patches of ground, His vineyard, all over the world. And then He commands certain things to happen. And you have to do it. But we don't. So therefore, all those that are starving and dying spiritually have no food because the ground sits idle. When it comes to God. Now, we're not idle. Oh, we're going to school, and we're going to work, and we're going shopping, and we're playing, and planning vacations, and we're traveling, and we're buying, and we're going. And Again, Jeremiah tells us somewhat the same. He says, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem. The Lord is saying this. Okay, this is not something you have really an option. But the Lord says to do, break up your fallow ground. Don't sow among thorns. Meaning we're sowing the seed among thorns. God says, look, I'm telling you, break up the fallow ground. Fallow ground. Now listen, church, I'm talking to you and I, not the loss. It also means smug, contented, the way things are. Smug, uncultivated, unyielding. Never changing, smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow. And the agitation of the harrow. And I'm not a farmer. I mean, I had to look up what the heck is a harrow. Seriously, I thought it was a bird or something, a harrow. It's a piece of machinery. Set with spikes or teeth or discs. Used primarily for pulverizing. Absolutely pulverizing and smoothing out the soil. I mean, you guys, I'm sure most of you know that I didn't. Because I'm just not from the farm area. And my two L.A. dudes, they don't know what that is either. Right? <laughs> so Jeremiah says... To you and to I, break up this fellow ground 
and sow not among thorns. So God builds this picture of sowing and reaping by telling Israel, and you are a spiritual Israel, to break up this fallow ground. Ground that hasn't, your ground, your heart. Ground that hasn't been plowed for more than a year. It's ground that is hard and stubborn and resists the seed. It does little good to sow seed. It does nothing, any good at all to sow seed on ground. Just like my little patchwork of grass, it did nothing. I bought one of those containers like this that has the seed, has the fertilizer, and I don't know what else was in it. Peat moss, is that right? Daryl, would that be? And, it, and you spring, and all you got to do is water it. Grass. I spent 15 bucks a jug on this big batubum, 30 bucks, and it washed away in one storm. Anybody go through a storm? Yeah. You know what? And I would think for years, and I would even mention sometimes to other brothers, and I was like, you know, what's up? How come it seems like the Word of God has effect on some and no effect on most? What's up with that? How can that be? The Word of God is powerful and quick and sharper than any two-edged sword, being able to discern. How can it not? Falls on ground like that. There's the ground. Your heart. The picture of your heart. So I saw this and it reads, Sometimes when the Word of God goes forth and seems to have little, little effect, it's because it falls on ground like that. Ground. You. Hard ground that will not allow the seed of the Word of God to penetrate and become fruitful. We was praying with some brothers last night and one of them, spoke up as they were asking what to pray for. And I was saying, no, I'm going to do some reading tomorrow. Pray for the anointing of God. Pray for that anointing so they're not going like this, you know. During the, during the reading, because of these two weeks that are absolutely insane, you run to this gathering, run to that gathering, that dinner, this dinner. And so he, we were talking. I told him what. And, and the one person said, you know, that's absolutely true because I've seen my father-in-law just plow and till his garden unbelievably to the dirt's like sand, he said. Just so smooth and like sand. And he said, but after three days, he said, there's already a hard crust forming on what used to just simply run through your finger in just three days. When was the last time you plowed? In just three days, the natural ground. And I mentioned uh, like having a little pet, like our little cat has water and, and it can have this fresh, clean, clear, cool water. And I can just put it out on the porch overnight and the next morning it's what? Man, if it's cold enough, it's hard like rock. Or it has at least a crust over it where you have to go to get to the water. It's a, a sign and a picture of our heart. How many of us went to Africa and we were so moved by the poverty in Africa and thought, man, I will never be the same. I will never forget. How you doing? That was what, five years ago? Africa, yeah, okay. We can be moved for a moment. We can be stirred and 
and thought, oh my gosh, I will never complain. People are living in boxes. People are sweeping dirt saying that's their living room floor. I will never complain again about my $300 Hoover. We don't plow, and we're right back to complaining and moaning uh, no time at all. Moaning and complaining. So anyway, after all this, I'm keep thinking, how am I going to put this? This is so awesome. I thought, hey, I'm reading it to you. I'm absolutely going to read it to you. It's not that long. I timed myself. It's like 10 or 11 minutes. You've got to be able to stay awake that long. If not, if not, you're fallow. Fallow, shallow, hollow. Okay? So we're talking about breaking up. And he goes off and he, and he says this. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to just repeat here a little bit because I wrote this down on my paper and I thought, you know what? This is dumb. I can't improve on this. This is awesome. I'm just going to read what this guy said. He said, the fallow field is smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of that harrow that you saw up there. <clears throat> and he says, such a field as it lies year after year becomes a familiar landmark to the crow and to the blue jay. Familiar. They ride right past us, fly right past us. Don't even stop. Don't even give us a look. Had it intelligence, it might take a lot of satisfaction in its reputation. It has stability. Nature has adopted it. It can be counted upon to remain always the same, while the fields around it change from brown to green, back to brown again. Safe, safe, and undisturbed. Fellow ground. <clears throat> it sprawls lazily in the sunshine. The picture of sleepy contentment. Now, you know what we're talking about, right? We're not talking, you're not going to have to go out there and say, now, which piece of ground is he talking about? I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about us. Us as people, God's people, and the, the ground being our heart. The fruit and that is what, what we're doing for God. So it lies lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment. But it is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it see the miracle of growth, nor does it feel the motions of mounting life, nor see the wonders of bursting seed, nor the beauty of ripening grain, fruit. It can never know because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow. Fruit, life, growth, excitement. You've traded it in to be content and smug. In direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protecting fence has opened to, the, to admit the plow. And the plow has come as plows always come. Practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. The field has felt a travail of change. It has been upset, turned over, bruised, broken. But its rewards come upon its, uh, come upon its labor. Have you been turned upside down, bruised, and broken? There's a reason. So you don't become like that. How many of us, you know it, you know it, you know it. You never get hot for God. You never start serving God until something horrible 
happens in your life. Because that's what we are. If we do attempt to plow, we don't plow right. We do like my little rake. That's good enough. Me and you, God, we're tight. And God's got one of them big things. Just waiting, waiting for the go-ahead. But you won't give it to him. You won't let your fence down. You're unyielding. Okay, I knew I'd get off and lose places, so you just have to... The seed shoots up into the daylight. It's miracle of life. Curious, exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, mature, and consummate. The grain that was prophesied laid hidden in the seed when it entered the ground. Nature's wonders follow the plow. Nature's wonders follow the plow. There are two kinds of lies also. And he goes in and talks about us. The fallow and the plowed. For example, the fallow life. We need not go too far because it's all over. It's everywhere. It's not rare. It's not valuable. We see it all over the fallow ground that refuses to be plowed. They are all too plentiful among us. The man of fallow life is contented with himself and the fruit he once bore. He does not want to be disturbed. He smiles in tolerant superiority at revivals, fasting, self-searchings, and all the travail of fruit-bearing and the anguish of advance. The spirit of venture is dead within him. The spirit of adventure. And I am probably the least adventurous of you all. He is steady, faithful, always in his accustomed place like the old field. Always in his custom. You know why you sit in the same place every day, over and over, every service, year after year? Because that's where your protective little fence is. I can go like this. No, Lenny sits over there. Brian sits over there. Oh, all the time. Nancy Tanner's way over there. Uh, Don King's over there. And, they, that's, and if that, if someone else is in your fence, you're like, <laughs> warning, warning. That's what we're like. Isn't it true? I mean, you all freaked and panicked when we moved from the teen sanctuary to here. And they're like, God, it's not the same. It's horrible. It's not the same. That's what it is. Bunch of little panicked fields. That's what we are. We are. We don't like change. We don't like to plow. We don't want to be responsible. We don't like commitment. We don't want to have the responsibility of growth, harvest, seed, people, witness, souls. What? Sleep me in my own little fence. Man, I am a cave dweller and a fence builder. I love it. So this would be the last message I would ever want to preach. It's the truth. Okay. <clears throat> okay, we've got to find an excuse me. Spirit adventure is dead within him. He is steady, faithful, always in his 
in his accustomed place. Conservative, something of a landmark in the little church. But he is fruitless. The curse of such a life is that it is fixed, both in size and content. Listen, to be, listen to this, to be has taken the place of to become. What does God want you to become? I know what you are. What does He want you to become? No matter how old you are. Caleb, 80, let me take that mountain. Go ahead. Up he went. 80, what have you become? A retiree. That's what we've become. We retired from the gospel. No matter, every age has its thing. Okay, so he says, A curse of such a life is that it is fixed both in size and in content. To be has taken the place to become. The worst that can be said of such a man is that he is what he will be. I don't want that to be. I don't want this to be it. I don't want this to be that this is the plateau as high as I can go or as high as I want to go. He has fenced himself in and by the same act he has fenced out God and the miracles. How's the miracles happening? How are they? Is it worth your peace and contentment in your fenced-in field? How are they going? How's the power of God been? By the way, this book is called The Pathway to Power. The plowed life is the life that has, in the act of repentance, thrown down the protecting fence and sent the plow of confession into the soul. That's me, God. That's me. Plow. Plow, God. The urge of the Spirit, the pressure of circumstances, the distress of fruitless living have combined thoroughly to humble the heart. That's the only time we listen to God. Such a life has put away defense and has forsaken the safety of death for the peril of life. Some of us are afraid to live. Discontent, yearning, contrition, courageous obedience to the will of God. These have bruised, broken the soil till it is ready again for the seed. That's what God will do to you. And you're going, I'm the enemy. And God's going, oh, for Pete's sake, let me plow through. Life and growth begin as God rains down righteousness. Such a one can testify, and the hand of the Lord was upon me there. Or is it, where was you going? Is it the will of God? I don't know if this is what God... Corresponding to these two, two kinds of life, religious history shows two phases. The dynamic and the static. Where do we fall in as an American church? Listen. If you, you don't have the courage, I'm going to say we're static. We're static and we live because of these fences. <clears throat> the dynamic periods were those heroic times when God's people stirred themselves to do the Lord's bidding, went out fearlessly to carry His witness to the world. They exchanged the safety of inaction for the hazards of God-inspiring progress. Invariably, the power of God followed such action. The miracle of God went when and where His people went, and it stayed when His people stopped. We stopped. The static periods were those times when the people of God 
tired of struggle. We get tired of it. Tired of the shots in the back. Oh, I believe they did that. And you're just like, that's it. I'm done. That's all. I'm just going to stay saved. <clears throat> oh, okay. Help me find it, Lord. It's too good to miss anything. The static period were those times when the people of God tired of struggle and sought a life of peace and security. Then they busied themselves trying to conserve the gains made in those most daring times when the power of God moved among them. Bible history abundantly provides examples. Abraham went out on his great adventure of faith and God went with him. Revelations, theophanies, the gift of Palestine, covenants, the promises of riches, blessings to come were the result. Then Israel went down into Egypt and the wonder ceased for 400 years. At the end of that time, Moses heard the call of God, stepped forth to challenge the oppressor. A whirlwind of power accompanied that challenge. And Israel soon began to march. Listen to this. As long as she, meaning the church, as long as she dared to march, God sent out His miracles to clear the way for her. Whenever she lay down like a fallow field, He turned off His blessing and waited for her to rise again and command His power through prayer and seeking God. Because God's not some divine butler. Bing, bing, we want some power now. No, it's His game plan. Not ours. <clears throat> this is a brief but fair outline of the history of Israel and of the church as well. As long as they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord worked with them, confirming the word with signs following. But when they retreated to the monasteries or played at building pretty cathedrals, the help of God was withdrawn. So a Luther or a Wesley arose to challenge hell again. I wonder how many future Wesleys we have here. God waiting for you to stand up and challenge hell. Well, what else are we here for? Gas is never going to come down. It isn't. The Congress is not all of a sudden stop lying, stop taxing. Uh, Christmas is over. Life. This is life. In every denomination, missionary, society, local church, or individual Christians, um, this law operates, this law of power. God works as long as His people live daringly. He ceases when they no longer need His aid. As soon as we seek protection out of God, we find it to our own undoing. When we're, we're about to ask you for money again. Oh yeah, we're, we're needed again. For, um, help me out, restoration. It's coming, it's around the corner. We should already have asked. But I start to, start to clam up and start to build fences. And think, oh my gosh, I don't know. Because I am not daring. We need it. We need the money. Teens are lost as lost can be. Worse than they were last year. And so we're going to go for it again daringly. You move us by the hand of God as you want through this, God. 
The power of God comes only when it is called out by the plow. It is released into the church only when she is doing something that demands it. By the word, doing, I do not mean activity. The church has plenty of hustle, as it is. But in all her activities, she is very careful to leave her fallow ground mostly untouched. There are areas you do not want to be bothered in. She is careful to confine her hustling within the fear-marked boundaries of complete safety. That is why she is fruitless. She is safe, but fallow. <clears throat> Look around today and see where the miracles of power are taking place. Now, this was written back in the 70s. Never in the seminary where each thought is prepared for the student to be received painlessly and at second hand. Never in the religious institutions where tradition and habit have long ago made faith unnecessary. Never in the old church where memorial tablets plastered over the furniture bear silent testimony to the glory that once was. <clears throat> Invariably... When daring faith is struggling to advance against hopeless odds, there is God sending help from the sanctuary. <clears throat> In the missionary society with which I have for many years been associated, I have noticed that the power of God has always hovered over our frontiers. Space and beyond. <clears throat> Miracles have accompanied our advances and have ceased when we, were allowed, when we allowed ourselves to become satisfied and ceased to advance. The creed of power cannot save a movement from bareness. There must be also the work of power, power of God. For instance, something real brief. I, I won't get the story completely right. If you see Michael McGuire, you ask him. <clears throat> He's reading in the paper the obituary of some lady who passed away with three little children, and she was, I think it was three children, it doesn't matter, you can ask. And <clears throat> she was soon to get married. Mike saw that and was moved by that. No idea who they are, decided he was going to go to the funeral. But apparently, and he read the story, read the person, read the names. <clears throat> so he's in Walmart and purchasing a bunch of stuff, comes up to a baby close to 100 bucks, and jokingly, you know, Mike was, he jokingly turns to the person behind him, no clue he is, who he is, and says, do you have a hundred bucks? I don't even know if the guy laughed. He just kind of said no, and he said, I just lost my fiance. He went, what? He said, yeah, I just, just lost, lost her. About to go to the funeral. He says, is your name, uh, is your name Joe? He went, yeah. Now, what's the odds? What's the odds of that happening? Living daringly. What's the odds of that? That's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> how, how was that set up? By d divine presence of God. By God doing things instead of with our, oh, and I'm the worst at this, with boundaries and just giving what I want and get out. And... That's it. This is what God's talking about, taking offenses down. <clears throat> Almost done. 
And he goes on and says, but I am more concerned with the effect of this truth upon the local church and the individuals. Look at the church where plentiful fruit was once the regular and expected thing. But now there is little or no fruit, and the power of God seems to be in total inactivity. Absence. What is the trouble? God has not changed, nor his purpose for the church changed in the slightest measure. No, the church itself has changed. We've changed. Admit it. A little self-examination will reveal that it is its members have been fallow. We are fallow ground. It has lived through its early travails and has now come to accept an easier way of life. It is content to carry on its painless program with enough money to pay its bills and a membership large enough to assure its future. Its members now look to it for security rather than for guidance in the battle between good and evil. Just give me something. I need something. I need something. It has become a school instead of a barracks. Its members are students, not soldiers. They study the experiences of others instead of seeking new experiences of their own. The only way to power for such a church is to come out of hiding and once more take the danger encircled path of, you ready? Of obedience. Obeying. All I had to do was obey the laws of farmery and do it right. But I had to find a different tool. I had a different energy, different... So I took the easy way to scratch, 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 $30, and it washed away four days later, whatever it was. Your security, its security is its deadliest foe. The church that fears the plow writes its own epithet. The church that uses the plow walks in the way of revival. That's it. I couldn't say it any better than that. That's where we're at. Brownfield, brownfield, brown, 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 because they're abundant. A little bit of green. Brown, 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 green, brown, 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 a little lush field. Ron Holscher. Been in glory for three plus years probably. I can't remember. Loose track. I used to always tell him, remember what you prayed. Sometimes I wanted to say, shut up, Ron. <laughs> it's the truth. When we started out New Hope, I said, Lord, <clears throat> just feed us food con- convenient for us. Don't let us have tons of money. Because if we have tons of money, we won't pray. We won't seek God. We won't feel the pressure. We'll all buy hammocks. We'll swing in the hammocks with our unlimited supply of lemonade and stay brown, 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 brown. And Rod would always tell me when the pressure is on, I'm going, oh my gosh. Because I have a little phrase from a few years ago. This is the summer from HE double hockey sticks. Because it was so bad, so pretty, the money, everything was, oh my God. And Rod would say, remember what you prayed. Because that's what forces us but can I go play? And then you're like, God. You start praying. 
And you know what? I don't know why God does it, but instantly there's, you have growth. He comes. I mean, you're not ripe for harvest, but instantly you could feel growth and life coming back in you. As soon as you back off, like this, this Christmas season is not a great season. Because you, you run so much, you do so much, you jump, 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 jump. You kind of back off and you're getting like that crust across the heart. And every time the, the uh, speakers, so one of the um, guys who give the announcements, somebody made mention to me, I bet you hate that. And you're going, uh, Sunday night's postponed, Wednesday's postponed. I'm going, oh. The only reason why I've ever done that, because everybody that ministers every week, every week, all the time, year after year after year, it's a nice little break for them to not have to come up with something, including myself. But if you're not, if you're not careful, and that crust comes back fast, real fast. The whole key to being fruitful and daring whether it's Walmart and you just look at a guy and starts off with maybe a little bit of joke and all of a sudden God opens his door and you step through, is obedience. Obedience. It's in seeking God and God will plow through and he will hit things that you always want him to go around. But you've got to let this year, you've got to get, throw it out and plow through. You're a little peaceful, undisturbed, don't bother me. Uh, Adam... Um, He's not my brother, remember? Where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. And you can't just plow your... This is what we do. Your, your own little... Your own little fenced in... Listen, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the king of this. Remember uh, Pastor Daniel from Romania is going, You can come to Romania. I was sitting right there at Ruth. And I'm going, yeah. And you're, when you know what freezes over, buddy. That's unyielding. That's un. So I need. Now, God might not ever want me to go there, but the idea is I, I should be plowed and ready if He says so. All through the years that I've been here and wondering, God, why? Why is it we're not getting this? Why is it most of the people, why, why, why? Why? How come? And some people, it's unbelievable. Man, phew, they're, they've got like fruit in two days. And others are 20 years. And it's just, this is, this is it right here. The fallow ground. Now, here comes the part for the plow. And it's our altar call. You have to decide or admit First, probably admit, yeah, there, there, there's a problem. I have a problem, and I do. I have a problem. I do not like to vary off of any kind of, you know, um, it's horrible. You can ask my wife. I mean, we can just have this plan. Okay, we're going to go up there, and it could even be shopping. It could even be shopping, and we'll go to some store. I can't even think where, somewhere, Easton. We'll go to Easton and have this plan, and we'll go there, and then we might stop off at the cheese factory, and then I'll take you over there. And See, I'm going, I'm blessing my wife. It's a great day for my wife, and then we'll come back home. Well, we can do all that, and, you know, and I'm going in my mind. We're all done with that. I'm going home. Home. I've done what I've done. Okay. And 
Ruthie, like a lot of our ladies, just has this idea. Can I go to the dress barn? I want to... No! Is it true? Ruth, you know it's... Ruth knows it's true. Something as silly and as stupid as that. Now, how many times do you do that with God? And there's, today is a perfect example. You have, every one of you, a protective fence around your life. <clears throat> and you are so protective of it, you do not even want to permit God inside to do what He wants to do. Him who gave you life to be living right now. Him who sent His Son so that you could be born again and have the Spirit of God and life in you to become a child of God will not let Him in for whatever reasons. Let's stand. Mike's little story stunned me that day. Didn't say a whole lot to him. <clears throat> I don't even know if he gave it to me first. I might, I might have heard from Teresa first. And my first reaction was, what? Someone died, comes here, and I don't even know. And so I shot over to Michael, and uh, I forget the name. Won't even get into the name. So-and-so, so-and-so died. Yeah, I said, is it a biker? And, no, no, not a biker. I'm going, oh, God. Is it someone that comes here? And it was, no, no. It was just something he read. And felt like, moved with compassion over just days before marriage, three children, lady dies. He just wanted to go there. Maybe see what God would do. Before, went to Walmart. And the guy right behind him is preparing to go to the same funeral, the fiance. And us dumb brown fields go, huh, really? I can't believe it. I was going to put my little plaque up here. It said risk. Remember risk? We've held that up for a long time. But you will never take a risk until you become obedient to God. The first thing that's got to go this morning is the fence around your smug, planned out, logically protected, carefully measured out life, future, who you want to marry, who you should have married, whatever it is, job, way it should happen, how you want to get old, whatever the way it is, and take down the fence. You've got to take, just like the door, you have to open it for God will knock, but you have to open it. Our altar call, there's plenty of wire cutters up here. You just come up and cut the wires. Let the fence down through your fear and through your trembling. And you say, God, my life is yours. Now look, and before you get up, 
Don't be trying to tie it back into knot, defensive. Just leave it go. Leave it go and say, God, I can't do anything with you. I can't be happy without you. I can't make right plans without you. I can't go on without you. Cut the fence. Cut it down. Or let God in. That's our altar call.